Today's episode of The Big Picture is brought to you by Cavo. The Cavo Control Center is the first truly universal TV remote control for your entire home theater. Connect up to four devices and centralize all your content in one place so you can easily find what you want when you want it. I have a Cavo, and let me tell you, it is incredibly good at organizing all of the various cords and devices and boxes and everything you use when you're watching TV. So it's simple. Just set it up. Shipping is free. Shop now at Cavo.com and use promo code BIGPICTURE for 20% off. That's C-A-A-V-O.com, promo code BIGPICTURE for 20% off. To me, if people, if there's a conversation about it being as good as Creed 1, I'm stoked. If there's people who are like, man, I, I, it took me back to 86 or blah, blah, blah for the nostalgia, I've succeeded. And then if people feel something, that's most importantly, man. Like, if people feel something, if you walk out of this movie saying you didn't feel anything, that's where I feel like I failed. I'm Sean Fantasy, Editor-in-Chief of The Ringer, and this is The Big Picture, a conversation show with some of the most interesting filmmakers in the world. As you might imagine, Creed II is a big deal around The Ringer. So I was thrilled to be joined by director Stephen Cable Jr. to talk about the sequel to Ryan Coogler's 2015 installment in the Rocky franchise. Creed II is about Adonis Creed, now a championship boxer, and his mentor, Rocky Balboa. But it's also about Rocky's nemesis from Rocky IV, Ivan Drago, and Ivan's son, Victor. It's a movie about fathers and sons, legacy, and what happens when you're no longer the underdog. I talked to Cable Jr. about what he learned from Sylvester Stallone, how to rebuild the Drago storyline, and making his own way in a complicated franchise. Here's Stephen Cable Jr. I'm joined today by Stephen Cable Jr. Stephen, thanks for coming in. Yo, thanks for having me, man. Stephen, you directed Creed too. How did this happen for you? Uh, good question. <laughs> uh, no, we. Uh, man, I was I was writing my own script and I was working on a TV show called Grownish when I got the call. You know what I mean? I I did not have Creed two on on a, on a slate or anything like that. Um, it just kind of came out of nowhere. And um, how it happened was uh, I guess MGM has saw my feature film The Land. And Ryan Coogler has suggested that they look into me because he was doing Black Panther at the time and uh, got a call. These guys responded. Sly has saw the piece. Michael B. Jordan has. Everybody felt comfortable and good about it. And I didn't necessarily have to pitch myself. Interesting. You know, so you didn't I have just, to come in and say, here's my vision no, for this movie. I, I definitely did say, here's a vision I have because I got the script and it was from Sly. And then Sly had wrote a draft that had the basic foundation of everything. But he felt like he wanted to dive deeper into Adonis' life. And he wanted to dive Tessa's. Um, and then we're still playing with the Dragos. And so when I got the script, it was like, I have some ideas. You know, when I pitched it to them, they're like, wow, this, these work. And it's the stuff that you'll see a lot in the film without spoiling it because I don't know when this comes out. No but, worries. We won't be spoiling okay. it. <laughs> yeah. But so tell me a little bit about your relationship to the Rocky franchise. Were mm-hmm. you were you all in as a kid or is this something that was sort of like new to get started doing? No, not at all. I, I don't know who has not seen the entire Rocky franchise. It was like once in a while I hear somebody says they haven't and I'm like complete shock. Like you haven't seen a Rocky? What? Um, I was a kid. As a kid, um, I, I, I guess I'm considered young, but I saw the first one I saw was Rocky Five. Oh, wow. That was the first one you saw. That was the first one I saw. Okay. That's not a great place to start, I would no, say. No, everyone keeps, yeah, today, right? Everybody keeps saying that. And and again, I, I understand why, I guess, as a filmmaker and, you know, being who I am now or where I'm at. But when you're like six years old watching like 
Rocky Five and you see Tommy Gunn and boxing and people in the streets fight. That thing was cool. You know what I mean? It was just cool to me. And then when I went back, I started backwards. So then I started to go to first one, then second and all that stuff. And then when I did, um, I played sports. I was a basketball player. And so obviously there's like this huge sports connection growing up. So throughout my teenage years, it was just about like motivation. I love the underdog story. Um, but around 17, 18, you know, 19, starting to go to college, starting to look into film, taking it more seriously. That's when I started to appreciate it for what it is, is art. You know what I mean? I thought Sly and what they did with Rocky One, which is my favorite one, um, was fascinating, man. I thought it was bold. You know, they tried some really cool things in there. And I was like, wow, you know, a flawed character who's not like put hair pushed back, super suave. He's stuttering. He's doing this. He felt human, you know? Um, and I'm like, oh, that's why I felt so connected to this character, you know? And so I thought that was really cool. You have this unusual burden with this movie where you have the mm-hmm. legacy of the Rocky franchise. And then you also have the burden of Creed, which I think yeah. kind of caught some people by surprise and became, you know, quite a big hit and, mm-hmm. and qu- very quickly, I think a beloved movie. Yeah. So how do you negotiate? Like you've got old school fans over here. You've got this new generation mm-hmm. of fans over here and you've got to do right by both of these stories. So yeah. how do you manage that? I think it kind of starts within man by being a fan. You know what I mean? I had to pull back, you know, when first stepping into the project as a filmmaker, just pull step back, you know what I mean? And then just look at it and appreciate what did I like? about the Rockies that I love, Rocky 1, Rocky 2, Rocky 4, what moments in there that I really want to pull from, um, but just connect, just for a moment, just to connect and then go to Creed 1. What I really like about Creed 1, what touched me, what what moved me, what felt like it was, was, you know, impactful, what made it what it was, and then start to approach it more like a filmmaker. All right, what will audiences want to receive? How can I put this within the script um, that has this sort of format that uh, Sly already created? Um, And so when diving into it, Try not to spoil much with the script, but uh, but when diving into it, um, then you start to plant the pieces of what do you think people will like, you know, and then find those moments where you could be yourself. Um, I call it flexing, you know, be able to pull the flexing muscle and be like, all right, this is me. This is where I'm going to put my own personal touch to the film, to these characters' lives, and to how I'm going to visually tell these stories. I mean, these fight scenes, um, which was huge and important. And so you kind of have to, like, again, go backwards and go to, like, that basic instinct of, like, if I was a moviegoer, I like Creed 1 so much. That way you're not caught up into... If you go straight to filmmaker mode, then it, it could be you can just be trying to do something totally different and not respecting the audience who loved Creed One and the Rocky franchise. If that makes sense, it does make sense. Um, I mean, did you watch other boxing films, other sports movies? Or did yeah, you stick to them? Yeah. What did you no, watch? No, no, no. You, you have to go outside of the Rock. I think Slash created a really cool formula in science that makes this whole thing works uh, work. But I think for us, uh, myself and another writer named Joel. Um, I started watching karate flicks, fighting in Thailand, all stuff like that to incorporate ideas to keep it fresh. You know what I mean? Um, you know, you go to even the Van Damme moments, like when was his most down out moment when he's blind, and he can't see and he's like, ah, yeah, you know? yeah. Like those are the things that like, you know, are riveting and like get you excited during a fight. And so you find these moments and then try to transfer them into to, to boxing. So, so you're speak. saying there's some blood sport in, exactly. in, in, in Creed 2. Yeah, definitely there's some blood sport in Creed 2. Um, I think there is a bit in, in all of them. I think you have to find like the arcs within the fight scene and stuff like that. Um, and then for the drama, I just pulling it to my personal life. Um, I'm married. Uh, you know, uh, these guys mature and grow up in their relationship, Bianca and Adonis. And I just wanted to find out, like, what are the real moments? You know, what, what are people going to connect to? Like I said, I connected to Rocky and his flaws. 
in the first in the first uh right in the Rocky franchise. So now stepping into Creed, I connect to how real and authentic these characters are and, and the drama that they're going through and, and the fact that they're black characters to keep that voice alive too. So yeah, you know, I find those those moments. I'm curious how you balance the tone of the movie, right? Because you have these mm-hmm. really intimate moments with Adonis and Bianca, yeah. and then obviously you have the fight scenes, and those are really high tension, high energy. They're mm-hmm. very physical. What's it like kind of toggling back and forth between those two things? It was tough, man, to be totally honest with you. Because, um, again, you're pulling from, like, the Rocky IV-esque of the world, and this is a sequel, and then you're like, I don't want to be too cartoonish. I don't want to be too commercial. This is not a money grab. This is actually it's still sort of a pro- passion project, you know, for everyone on board. So you try to treat those moments with respect and and, and make sure they're in the film. Um, but it was really tough, man. I mean, on set, we had this thing called the cheese meter. Like, <laughs> no, legit. You know, we had definitely had this cheese meter thing going. Who's, who's controlling me, the gauge on that? All of us. Because yeah. we all w- would step out of line. We had to. You know what I mean? I think with a film like this, you know, there's definitely times where me and Dolph were like, dude, we're bringing back Drago, right? And he knew he's like, I don't want to be like the Drago I was in Rocky IV. I want to be this new age Drago. And so we had this meter and I would go cross it and then... Dolph would look at me like, I don't know, that felt a little weird. And I was like, did I go too cheese on it? He's like, probably, but we have to go there in order to know if that makes sense. And then the same with him. He'll go somewhere. All his lines are in Russian in this movie. The dude did a great job. And, and he'll perform. And he'll be like, was that a little bit too expendables? Was that a little bit too? And I'm like, it may have been. It may have been. Let's pull it back just a little bit. Um, but we, we have to go there because there's also another level of the audience that wants that. You know, and so it's like we're trying to get right at that edge without being over the top, if that makes sense. And we had it for everybody, you know, every from uh, Mike, you know, coming off of Killmonger. He had one, you know, so everybody had this sort of meter. Tessa didn't need it much. Tessa actually now thinking about it, never had this kind of Tessa. She was on point with herself, man. She was in tune, you know, and none of her scenes felt like it needed it. You know, what I mean, there are times where like our, we're, we're doing a lot with her growth and, and, and um her reduction in her hearing loss. And so there will be times where we feel like maybe we've done too much with it. But um, Tessa is, she's one, she's she's fierce, man. She's like, she has so much, her future is going to be insane. Uh, she's just a dope actress, man. And then on set, she just brought something totally fresh to every scene. And yeah, but we didn't have a cheese meter with her. Everyone else, we definitely did. I've never, I've not realizing that until now. I'm like, man, shout out to Tessa. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite things about the movie is everything you do with the Drago story. I think there's like a, it's really smart and clever the way that you position their family inside this movie. Thanks. You know, how much of that comes from right ahead of time, Sly knows that he wants to have this direct connection mm-hmm. of four. And then how do you then kind of, because you have to build really the world of the build. Dragos too yeah. and, and Russia and this complicated thing. So, you know, without spoiling it, how do you start to build their world as well? Yeah, no, I think, uh, first, great question. Because um, Rocky definitely, or Sly, <laughs> Sly Rocky, Rocky Sly, definitely had like the format. He knew what people would want ultimately. His ideas was to bring back the Dragos. And so when he had delivered the script, I think for us was like trying to add that backstory to it, you know, but still paying attention to Rocky Four where they were at. So we watched like our first few meetings, it was me and Sly, we would watch clips on YouTube of the movies, you know what I mean? Rocky Four, Rocky Three. And then I remember at the end of Rocky Four, um, there's a moment where uh, Rocky's doing his iconic speech, speech if I could change you could change we could change right and Dolph or Ivan Drago sorry was in the corner and his head was down and he no longer had Russia support you weren't sure where Lumila stood in all of this 
And it just it was an interesting image. And I was like, dang, that tells a lot. You know, usually after every Rocky movie, hey, good job, man, respect, this, that, and the other, right? Yeah, the yeah. come together. That movie they didn't do it. And I was like, and so that image stuck out to me. And I was like, we can actually create a lot of backstory from this image. Like, and without giving away too much, where does he start? You know, mm-hmm. is he start? Is he living in Russia? Is he not? You know, those are start. That's where you start to questions. And then you just build, you know, um, to where we got to where we are now. And then beyond by building from that moment, that kind of already gave Drago some layers, just because of where he was at, you know, and emotionally, that was the first time he felt any emotion out of the whole Rocky Four. You know, he was a robot, a cyborg, if you will. And then that one moment, he had his head down. He was like, "Wow, you felt sorry for him just a bit." So how do we ride that? You it's know? amazing to make him kind of a little bit of an underdog in the story, even though his son is a is a kind of a killing machine. Yeah, he's he's is less revenge as more as he's being desperate. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Desperate to redeem himself, and uh, he's using his son. You know what I mean? And the, uh, right there, that alone, that pitch alone, there goes the dynamic. You know, you can see how that can be dark. You can see like how does the son feel about it? Um, are they seeing eye to eye? Um, honestly, all stuff that I even pulled from personal life again, because I, again, I t- played basketball. My dad was very hard on me on uh, playing ball. He's an All-American and stuff like that, going off to college, you know, and everywhere I would go growing up, they would talk about how good he was. And so he was very adamant about me playing basketball to the point where I didn't even like to play basketball anymore. You know what I mean? And now I love it. I mean, I watch it all the time. I'm a huge LeBron James fan, obviously. Um, but <laughs> Nice time to be in L.A. <laughs> nice time to be in L.A. so I can watch the games. Um, but, you know, it, it gets to the point where you, it doesn't feel good anymore. And and that's and I just started exploring that. You know, how did I feel? And that relationship became so organic now. You know, it felt real watching it on screen. And for the first time at the premiere, I felt that and Rocky's situation without spoiling it. Because um, there's a big father theme in this and uh you know i just got emotional just watching it for the first time at the premiere because i've been so close to it so now i'll be able to pull back a little bit and watch it with a real audience i felt like an audience member and i was like Whew, this is kind of like tough for me to watch I, I i didn't realize i put so much personal stuff in it subconsciously um which is kind of scary yeah the fathers and sons theme is you know run throughout the series but this movie in particular it is really yeah it is acute tell me about uh working with sly so yeah. sly is the kind of author of this franchise mm-hmm. He's also a performer in the movie and Mm -hmm. co-writer of this movie. Yeah. Is it complicated to kind of, you know, modulate what you want to do versus what he wants to do? How do you direct him as a director while he's an actor? Yeah. No, not necessarily. Um... I mean, that's why he brought me onto the project. He said he wanted me to, to, to capture these guys' voices. Um... Is as honest as that, you know. I remember coming in, and I'm like, "Dude, you, you're backing down." He's like, "I can't speak to the generation. You, you speak to the generation of, like, you know, the Don's Creeds and Bianca's of this world." So that was already there. Everything else, like the format, just being a fan and listening, I felt like I was learning a lot. You know, um, you know, talking to Ryan Coogler, stepping into it, he's like, "Man, make sure you know, listen to Sly because dude has gems. You know, he's the OG. He's the he's the Godfather of this fight stuff." So he was very helpful in the sense of like trying to execute day or moments or, you know, explaining Rocky and his process to me. So I understood that he goes into Rocky mode. He's not Rocky automatically. Like he turns into Rocky on set and in his trailer. And every every day before we would shoot, 20 minutes, everybody's setting up. I walk through the set. You guys are doing this. We will shoot this way, blah, blah, blah. Set up these lights. The actors will be out in 20. I'm going to go talk to Sly in this trailer. And then we'll just talk about the scene um, and just break down moments. Because a lot of his stuff when he's on set, he improvs. You know what I mean? Like, he'll write down a lot. He'll write down some gym lines that are really good. But then on set, he'll do things with his hands, with the ball. That's just like magic. And for me, my job is not to stand in the way of that. You know, for me, it's, it's to give him 
a nice comfort zone for him to be rocky, lay out some things, lay out, lay out a map, guide him. But ultimately, he knows the scene we've talked about in the in the trailer. Um, if there's a scene he doesn't like, or if there's a scene, it's not in the movie. We don't we don't we don't shoot it or we don't write it. You know, so before even going on set, we have a general idea. Um, script wise, he's very open. I mean, for him, Sly is cool dude, very smart. He's also a filmmaker. We forget he's directed before, you know? So for him, it was very much like, hey, these are the three things I would love to keep during this next draft of your past. And I'm like, those three things I wanted to keep anyway. So it just was like, this is perfect, you know? And then as I created it, you know, just back and forth with ideas because he's a co-writer on it. And so I'll be like, Desert Montage, I want to do this, that, and the other. Oh, well, actually, boxers really do this, that, and the other. Check out this fight. And so it was like that kind of conversation all the time. Um, beyond that, man, I was just surprised that dude was punctual. He's always on time. <laughs> no, legit. I thought he was going to come in like real superstar mode. I thought he was going to be like flying into my jet on the day we shoot, <laughs> fly back to LA. Nah, he's just like, he hung out, man. And again, a dude at his age, he looks great. He's super in shape. You just get impressed. Like you get impressed by like how passionate he is about the project. I'm always amazed by his ability to kind of lock into this character in this movie too. I'm like, it's, man, it's he's scary. so good. It's he's scary, so good in man. This. On yeah. set, like, because again, I in my head, I think Sly is Rocky, right, or grown up, or like Rambo, like the super. And then you meet him, you're like, oh, this dude's like, he's cool. Like he's he's still with all this stuff. Is still he's still down to earth, and like to see him kind of like he was so excited about going back to Philly because we were doing all our stuff here in LA before I left so all the research was here we go to Philly and then he's like trying to take in the cold you know and I always say like he's rocking side to side every time he comes on set starts bouncing his ball he starts being funny like really over the top funny getting into Rocky mode and then like you know me realize like this is his process you know um, you have to start to appreciate it you know what I mean because usually I'm like in my head you know he's the cool guy who's like cliffhanger and demolition man and all yeah. the movies poppy head. Um, but to see him still have a process to get into this this character that he's been for so long um, and trying to find new ways of, I don't know, new chapters in Rocky life. That's, that's what's the toughest part, you know, is trying to find out what has Rocky has not gone through yet. Um, but I think he keeps attacking this project as if like this is his dramatic role. Like this is, you know, beyond the rambles of the world and expendables and, and escape plans and all these like commercial pieces. This is the, when he comes back to this, you can tell this is his baby. Um, so I think it's one of those, if I respect him and the work and the craft, he respects me and we kind of just work. It just We just go at it and try to find new ways. Pretty fun. In terms of the size and the scope of the movie, this is bigger than your first movie, The Land. It's way bigger than the first one. So <laughs> I want to talk about that. You know, what's, what did you not know you didn't know when you started making this movie? What what surprised you? Uh, the Just the amount of days. I thought having more days on set, this is technical, but having more days on set is helpful. Oh, man, we shot for 52 days on this project. It's How so long was The Land? The draining, the land was 18 and with two uh, two days on the weekend, 20 days. You know, we kind of went out there and just shot some stuff with the boys in the skateboarding sequences. No permits. You see. <laughs> yeah, you know, a little film school action. A little film school action. Um, but those weren't any full days, no full crew. That was just me, the cameraman, and the kids. Um, not even kids, the, the leads. But um, no, ultimately, like, you step into a project like this, how big it is in a sense of how, how set, your set is enormous. So it's like you have to really convey and make sure, I mean, you did it in a short films and in, in, in your first feature, but that every department understands the vision. So it's like, it's no longer me in a meeting with 
10 people anymore. It's me in a meeting with like 60 people. You know, it's a big, huge conference room. You're trying to get across. Every department takes so much time. And then you're on set and then you're going for 52 days strong. You get, you get tired, man. It's exhausting. Your boxing matches first, this, that, and the other. The drama, they're tired and, and you don't see these obstacles really coming. Um, beyond that, I've never done visual effects before. That was fresh for me. So trying to learn a lot about visual effects and storyboarding. Um, that was that was intense because it takes up so much time and it's supposedly supposed to save money, you know, rather than getting real people. But at the back end of it all, it all like it compresses time. So I had to shoot and edit my fight scenes first, you know, before you can even really finish the film. So you're turning over stuff with this kind of deadline so people can, you know, get good visual effects at the end of it. That was really tough. Um, so it was a lot of that. And then beyond that, dealing with actors is still the same. You know, finding out cool shots is still the same as a short film or commercial or music video. Um, those those elements, those basic fundamentals of filmmaking stay the same. And um, I think there's definitely points where I was like, I'm going to just forget visual effects, forget everything else and kind of just focus in on this because that allows you to focus on what's important. Um, and Sly would say that all the time because there's definitely moments where I would get caught up in the fights. You know what I mean? Because I'm like, oh, everybody wants a good fight. So I'm like, fight, 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 fight. How to be innovative. And Sly, literally, while we're shooting a fight, he's like, hey, remember, man, like, the fights are important, but no one's going to care as long as they don't care about the characters. Like, you know, you don't have to worry about getting a perfect shot. The punch doesn't have to be perfect. This doesn't have to be perfect. And me in my head, I'm like, it has to be perfect. Like, Sly's here. Mike's here. I have to give him everything. And they'll be like, nah, dude, like, we'll, we'll figure it out later. But like, most importantly with us, it's like making sure that that story's there. So it's about the corners. That's what I learned. It's about the corners between the rounds, what's being said. And now it's trippy. Because um, he was right. <laughs> it was about the corner moments. That's so interesting because I was going to ask you about the fights and sort of like how much of the fight design is on the page and how much of it mm -hmm. is when you're actually shooting and saying like, well, actually, this isn't going to work the way I thought it would. I got to mm -hmm. change it up like this. Did you have to be yeah, flexible completely. with that stuff? I mean, we tried to write down me and Joel. Well, Sly has a different approach. Sly, Sly writes down almost like every single punch. You know what I mean? In a montage or in a fight. Like, it's crazy how much detail he'll write down on paper. You know, so you'll be reading a script and you feel like it's super long, but you realize those 10 pages of a montage are really just like the progression. And he's showing, he's speaking about it uh, punch by punch, weight by weight. So when we did it, we kind of gave this vague general story idea for the fight sequences. Like, this person goes down, there's a moment here, he rises up, he looks to his mom, whatever. And on set or during choreography, when you start to put the choreography together, you realize like those big moments needs small meat in between each, each of it. So you're adding a little bit more punches here, a little bit more choreo choreography here. And to the point where we have multiple fights in our film a lot, you know, with Andre Ward and uh, we have to shoot all of, of Victor Drago stuff because he doesn't have real footage. So we have to go and react. for. So all that stuff gets tough because it's all choreography. Definitely changes on the day. You know, we'll go to the we'll go to the set, and all of a sudden, you know, when we place the camera in the ring with the guys, like it's making it a little tougher. Can you guys do a right hook, left hook instead, or one two here and back up, and we'll go into the ropes? So it's it's a breathing thing. Um, then in, a lot of stuff was shifting because of injuries too. Oh wow! You know, um, Victor got injured twice. Um, he was sent to the hospital twice. At a medic on set. Uh, What's that like when that like, happens on your you set? You have to just stop the set. You know, you got to make sure they're okay. You know what I mean? Uh, with Victor, it was interesting because he was new. And so he would try to fight through it to 
not slow up the process. He was nervous that he would slow up the set. You know, as a and he's newcomer, an athlete too. Yeah, he's like, I have to give it all I have. And if he's injured, he'll try to hide. But like, no, I'm okay. Because he's looking at all of us like, you know, it's a lot of pressure on a project. And we just, again, me, and especially Mike himself, we have to go to him like, dude, if you need time to catch your breath, if you need a break, if you need to not do fighting for today, speak up. You know what I mean? Because we're here for you. Like, we're, we'll stop the set. And if we do, which we had to do a few times, I'll stop the set and go to the corner moments, you know, go to what Sly said, what's most important. So if you guys are tired, we'll make up a corner moment. We'll go actually shoot something that's scripted. I'll go focus on the people in the audience really quick for the day, you know, as you recover, because we can't waste a day, but I, we'll find a way to get around it. So that's something I didn't expect. That's something that I just kind of learned as I was doing the project and being like, wow, you have to have a plan A and a plan B, but then there's also like C, D, you know what I mean? Just in case these two don't work out. Um, Do you think you'll be bringing that to projects in the future, that kind of like level of, not necessarily improvisation, but just Mm -hmm. flexibility? I think I'm going to try to. This one I try to be as planned as possible. Um, but in the land, it was a lot of flexibility. It was like, I was just kind of open with this, a smaller project. It's all about chemistry. Um, in the future, yes, I think I definitely would try to bring, I think I would try to have more plans, so to speak, if that makes sense. Like there's definitely plan A, plan B, but like, as I said, as we kind of go through it, I'm going to try to see everything from every angle, like from injuries, from what's worst, worst, worst case scenario. Cause there's definitely moments where I was like, damn, we couldn't even shoot corner moments because I didn't think you have to get taken to the hospital. So now I'm like, I can't even shoot a corner if I wanted to with them. So it's like stuff like that, that, um, haven't necessarily planned for. And, um, yeah, you know, you just learn a lot, you know, during the process. And again, for me, Having uh, Sly and Mike there who's done this before, super helpful, you know, um, especially with Sly. Like Sly could see things a mile away because he's been through it before. You know what I mean? I remember one time he called out Flo's injury before it even happened. You know, he was like, Flo, you know, he's 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 going hard with that right. Like he's trying to do a hook with a right, which is not right. You know, he's going he's gonna to hurt himself. You know, let's calm it down. So I'm like, Flo, we're taking away these out of the choreography. Somehow he'll still get hurt. And I'm like, Sly has that kind of, instinct because he's done this eight times you know what I mean and he's he's been injured several times yeah um so that's all helpful and then there'll be moments where he's like um because again multiple fights you know he was calling it on uh on Mike's knee you know what I mean he's like Mike can't jump around like Apollo Creed could because his knee's gonna hurt you know what I mean he's carrying more weight this go around because he gained more weight for the fight sequences completely right by the time we got to the next fight his knee was hurt and he's carrying more mass during the fights like, i don't think about that stuff That's you know what i mean like yeah. i'm worried about like story and making day but i'm like yeah he's like you know there's going to be certain things he can't move like apollo if you want him to move like apollo in round three because apollo was fast on his feet and moving around so you might want to shoot round three first so that way then i'm like oh cool didn't think like that 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 makes so much sense you know it's like um, you have a living cheat sheet with you or something no completely yeah. completely man so what was actually really fun about making this? What did you most enjoy doing? All, all that that I just explained. No, well, I mean, that, that sounds hard. No, um, to be honest with you, it, it was fun. being a fan, without spoiling much, it was a lot of nostalgia moments that we brought back that was really exciting because I got excited. You know what I mean? Um, the moments with Tessa and Mike felt really special to me. Um, that was fun because their chemistry on set is so live. And going from the land, which was um, unknown actors, for the most part, are newcomers. You don't get much room to play, if that makes sense. Like you're trying to, you're, st- you're staying, sticking to the script a bit, having these 
these moments where they're organic and flow and, you know, they improv, but you don't want to lose what makes them them because then they'll start acting as newcomers. And you don't want that to ever happen. And so, only 18 days. Yeah, you only have 18 days. So with this one, Mike and Tess are so pro, I got to play a lot, you know, with scenes, you know, and, and to the point where I was maybe having too much fun because um, that's my favorite part is working with actors, uh, working with uh, Florian. That was fun because I got to create their world. Creed World was set up in Creed 1. Drago World has not been set up yet. So from opening scene to the end, playing with the colors, the tone, the feel, shots, um, mood, all was an exciting process. You know, they're dynamic with each other. How how raw we want to get. I kind of, like MGM, uh, thanks to them and, and, and Sly and, and Mike gave me that freedom to like, you know, just do what I needed to do. Like it was on the page and anything I created that wasn't on there with these guys were like magic and the opportunity to show that Dolph can act in a dramatic role or do something different was really fun to me. You know what I mean? Like it was a fun challenge. Um, we always hear these stories about Dolph that he's, you know, like in Mensa and is a genius and mm-hmm. there's been, been pieces written about him over the years, mm-hmm. but he doesn't often get the chance to really perform like this. That He's a, it's a real acting performance. No, completely, um, man. Like we were going through stuff like he was showing me Marlon Brando clips. I was showing him clips of like Raging Bull. Like we're going into the depths of this character and he was excited because it wasn't like, it wasn't comic booky. We weren't going to comic book films. We were going to like dramatic roles, you know? And so he was excited about that. And he is smart, man. He's really intelligent. I don't know if you met him yet. I haven't met him, no. Dude, wait till you meet him. He's first of all, he's the nicest guy. And he's tall and like handsome, obviously. But he steps into a room and you're like, damn, this dude is huge, man. And then he starts <laughs> talking you're like, this dude is a teddy bear, man. Like a really intelligent teddy bear. Um, and and now he, he was very open to everything. And he speaks like six languages. Russia is not one of him. Russia, so we had to learn Russian out of all, all languages. That's the one he had to learn because that's how he started his career off. It's wild. Um, but nah, he's just a really, really genuine guy, man. Um, T- tell me about Russia because obviously yeah. the timing of Rocky Four was very, mm-hmm. you know, important. And obviously there's a lot going on between U.S. and Russia now, and that's a part of this story. How much did you feel like you could lean into that? And how much did you think that might distract from the movie you're trying to make? I, I leaned into it just enough to to add to the character's arc. I didn't want to get, I, I didn't want to be political by any means. And in 86, 85, when they did that, I guess that was an appropriate time. That was the tone of that era when it came to movies and what was being displayed. For us, Sly didn't touch into it in his first draft. And if he didn't see it, I'm like, perfect, because I didn't want to. That was one of my concerns when stepping into the project. Are we going to really tap into that right now? Does it feel like propaganda? Does it feel like we're leaning heavy on this just because of the times? When these characters are so rich, when we have so much more to play with, um, when there's a different way to make a statement about these guys being on screen. And and we just took a different approach. You know, I think for me, where I'm at in my life, where Sly's at, where Mike— with all the stuff going on with this project, we wanted to really capture the human side. And um, and I, I said this before, just like the love of everything. Like just, we don't need any more negativity. And I didn't really want to jump into that. You know, I was trying to figure out a way to start with that and end with love and, and what's more important. Like as cliche as it sounds, I feel like that's what we all kind of need right now. Um, I didn't want to, I didn't want people to go to the movies on Thanksgiving and feel like they're Something's being shoved down our throat of like the bad guys of Russia versus the great America. I was like, nah, nah, I want you to think about something totally different, like family and, and your son and your mother and your father. Like those are things that really stuck out to me. Um, your wife, you know, so I don't know. We just, the press and critics have brought it up and during questioning and, and 
but we've never talked about it, if that makes sense. We're kind of like, nope, we're good. You know what I mean? If that's the route you guys want to think we're going to let them take it, for us, we're like, let's focus on these these people, man. Like, Sly was like, I want to focus on where I'm at in my life, how I need to reconnect with certain people, uh, the guilt trips I have after being at this age and not talking to a lot of people throughout my life because of whatever. That's that's a real life thing. How do we put that into Rocky? Like, that's that was our, those were our conversations. Nobody was like, let's talk about where Putin is and this, that, and the other and mm-hmm. how to make this character like him completely out the window it was like nah that just it didn't feel right you know what i mean it wasn't my agenda it wasn't no one's on a project but damn it is ironic the fact that it is happening now <laughs> it's why i ask you know no, I mean, it's, no, it's, it's inevitable it's totally fine like i mean we get it i knew that that question was going to be asked and it should you know i i just love when people go to the theater and they say they're surprised that it's not mm. you know that that's that's great you know when it's like i thought you guys were gonna go that route and like no it's a lot more story we could cover. Yeah, and like I said, I feel like the Drago family, that's one of the strengths of the movie, actually, the yeah. way that you've positioned it. And you could have made it more cartoonish by trying to make it this sort of like arch-villainy, completely nationalistic and thing. And then I would need more time if I want to go deep into like the politics of it all and all that. But we do know that they need a Russian boxer and they need a show. You know what I mean? Those mm-hmm. are real-life things. And that was easy to apply with a story like this. Um, but no, I didn't tap into it. What is what is success for you on this now? This is a bigger movie. Yeah. There's box office expectation. Are you reading the reviews? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you manage to identify what is success for you? Yeah, uh, I don't read the reviews. Uh, I, I don't. Um, didn't do it in my last one. Even though you got good know. reviews on your last one. Uh, I did. I did. Uh, wife would tell me. Yeah, they're looking <laughs> good. Uh, this one, I, I'm out of, like, the email chains. They send out, like, a blast with all the reviews, good or bad, or who's saying what, what are the focus are, and um, you know, publicists like, do you want to be on it? I was like, nah, like, I just kind of want to be in a moment to be totally honest with you. Um, cause this is, I came from, I'm a kid from Cleveland, Ohio, came out here to pursue this, did my first feature and everything's kind of happened so fast. You know what I mean? Um, just turned 30 during this project. And so really I was like, let me just try to take in these moments. I just did a movie with Sylvester Stallone and Michael B. Jordan, Tessa Thompson and Dolph Lundgren. That's insane to me. Felicia Rashad, I look up to her. She's like amazing. Let me try to live that. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't. I don't get caught up in that. I, I. I don't. Even when the trailer dropped, there's like tracking things. I think the studio gets worried when I'm not looking at that. I'm like, they're like, did you see this? I'm like, I didn't. I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm enjoying like a conversation with you or talking about the film and the things I tried. Um, when the movie drops, I'll be in Africa, so I'm gonna see how I'm, I'm be with Mike. So Mike loves tracking stuff down. Mike is like <laughs> the guy. He's like, aware. He's totally aware. He's aware of everything, man. He's a producer on this one too. Mm-hmm. So um he's deaf. He's aware of it all, man. Like it's gotta um, be easy for him when you keep making hits though. I feel like I he's on so. this he's unbroken like, streak. My last one. <laughs> uh, showboating off. <laughs> no, I think uh uh he also has a business hat, his business side to him too, man, which I I I admire because I feel like there's a there's a part of me that needs probably needs to be more like that too. But I, I solely lean heavily on just like again being in a moment trying to be an artist and work on the craft that he's looking at it from the business angle a lot, whereas I don't. You know, so going into this project, um, I don't know, the opening weekend there's pressure. Uh obviously like is it gonna be as good as the first one? What critics are gonna say. Um, I hope it does well, but honestly, to me, if people, if there's a conversation about it being as good as Creed One, I'm stoked. If there's people who are like, "Man, I, it took me back to '86 or blah, blah blah for the nostalgia," I've succeeded. And then if people feel something, that's most importantly, man. Like if people feel something, if you walk out of this movie saying you didn't feel anything, that's where I feel like I felt. I mean, we can make so much money; it could be insane. But if people say they haven't felt anything. 
that would hurt me, I guess, the most because I was like, I put a lot into it. And like I said, there's a little personal tidbits in there um, with the fathers and stuff like that that I feel like are true, you know? And so I, I don't know. I just hope people relate to the characters, you know, enough to, they want to see a Creed 3 and Creed 4 because they, they're they willing to ride with him. Um, I don't know. That That's a fine success for me. Not, I don't know what else would. I don't know. I like how you put that. I don't know. We saw what Coogler did after Creed 1. Coog, yep. How do you figure out what you're going to do and what what, <laughs> what what your next moves are. No, my next move could be uh, anything, man. Um, to be totally honest with you, I'm not trying to, I don't need to do a, a big Marvel movie if one comes about great. You know what I mean? But I have to fill with the character. Like that was part of doing Creed. You know, I didn't want to do Creed because of uh, uh, my worries of like, are they still going to stay true to the foundation of what these fr- this franchise was held by? So I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to jump into a big project unless I feel like they are allowing me to do what I need to do to make the project feel me, you know, uh, and it could be a smaller thing too. You know what I mean? Like I'm not mad at doing something small, you know, uh, as long as I feel like there's a story to be told. I I don't necessarily know. There's stuff that I'm working on. I was working on, you know, uh, this Wendell Scott project was about the first African-American NASCAR driver. I was writing that before I got picked up for Creed. Um, There's another project that I'm, I'm working on with um, the writers who helped me with uh, Creed 2, Joel and Tony, called By All, that we've been working on, um, where I, I guess a press release was announced last week, a couple of days ago, maybe? I'm confusing my days. Um, by Legendary. Um, that project is, is a nice little passion project that's totally different. If for me, I feel like it's timely. For me, I feel like if I dive into it now, either one of those projects, I, I, it's, 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 it feels satisfying, I guess, on another level, on an artistic level. I'll talk to Mike B and see if it's smart on a business level. <laughs> Brother, you need to get to this Marvel world. What do you mean? <laughs> Hit me up like, Killmugger comes back alive. We can go over here. I can do anything. Uh, hilarious. Because uh, they're looking at that dude. For every time I look up, I feel like it's like Michael B's. He's supposed to be in this movie. It's a, it's a, it's a super. Yeah, it was a couple weeks ago where they talking about Superman or something yeah. like that. I was like, Mike, what is this? Um... I'm not really chasing money. I don't care, really. If it's there, it's there. Because there's only a few Marvel movies that I'm I'm feeling good about. You know what I mean? Or I can't see, keep saying Marvel because I feel like that's the go-to right now. But Tempo films that I feel good about that whole weight and value to me that I'll watch again. Um, that just, you know, was different. And, um, and they had a filmmakers behind it who had a voice. The Last Thor I thought was really interesting. You know what I mean? I love that I, one. I love that one. You know what I mean? Yeah, we talked um, to Taika on this show. Ta- you got to talk to Taika. Yeah. His other, his first films. Oh my God, boy! All oh, that stuff, bro. He's amazing, incredible. Um, so there you go. There's a dope filmmaker, Ryan. What he did with Black Panther. You know what I mean? I actually liked Infinity Wars a lot too. I just saw it on a plane. It's it very forever. good. No, I was tripped out. <laughs> people were taking people out. They know. So I was like, "What's happening? Right? Is this real?" Uh, but the stakes were alive, and and I don't know, man. If 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 something like that fell on my lap, maybe. Um, I wouldn't be mad at it. Uh, I, I just have to start looking into the universes more and seeing what's up. But all the big movies feel like they're just remakes or something that's part of an IP for my comic books or something like that. So just very few movies that are, and if you saw the buy all thing, it was like, you know, it was t- touching basically like the film Collateral, which is like a drama, but yeah, it's very suspenseful, you know, stuff like that. That's like one of my favorite we films. love that movie here. Yeah. You guys love, yeah. I love that film. And so this next piece, like that, that I'm separating myself, I guess. Um, I'm trying to create my own lane. Steven, we end this show every week by asking filmmakers what's the last great thing that they have seen. We're talking about movies, so what oh. is the last great thing you've seen? 
Uh, a Quiet Place. Yeah, what'd you like about that? Dog, I love The Quiet Place, man. That was like, it was filmmaking. Like, you know what I mean? Like, one, I love horror films, by the way. We talk horror films all day. Um, I'd like to see your horror film. I, I, I would like to see a horror film, too, if I could find one. Uh, I'm also scared of it, too, because I'm like, uh, Possession and Exorcism are like the ones that really scare me. And I'm like, man, if I stepped into that, I don't know if I want that kind of spirit in my life. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, Quiet Place, man. Everything they did with sound and 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 visuals and um uh, the performances were on point and it was simple the simple ones always work really well man like like um and and they had character development from the jump and they took they shocked you from the beginning i I remember being in theater like this is how you make a movie you know what i mean like this feels really good to me there's no Yes, it's commercial. Yes, it's considered a horror film. But like when you look at it for its artwork, like, it's really good. And ironically enough, the last one that was good like that was Get Out, which was also kind of a horror genre. But I guess there's this blend of like the horror genre mixed in with like these these messages that make for the really good ones because the horror genre and a suspense drama keep you on your toes. But then when you find the character development, now you actually care. You have a great film, you know, whereas it's, it's hard to find that combination. A lot of these films suspenseful films are so caught up in the hype and the concept and not the people in it and that one like I really felt like the father theme like you know what I mean like trying to protect your family and I guess it's also something that I'm probably growing into as I mature and get older but damn it was good uh that's what that's probably and I saw that a while ago but I haven't had a chance to really go to the movies and um to be honest I want to see Widows if I can before I before our movie comes out. <laughs> That's a good one. I'll recommend that one to you, it's Steven. A good one. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> thank you very much for doing this, man. I appreciate no, it. Thank you, man. Appreciate congrats you. on Creed too. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of The Big Picture. Please tune into the show next week when I'll be joined by the great Shay Serrano, host of the Villains Podcast. Subscribe to that if you haven't. He and I will be breaking down Creed 2 in great detail. And then after that, we'll have a new episode of the Oscar show with Amanda Dobbins. So please tune in then and have a great Thanksgiving. Today's episode of The Big Picture is brought to you by Cavo. The Cavo Control Center is the first truly universal TV remote control for your entire home theater. Connect up to four devices and centralize all your content in one place so you can easily find what you want when you want it. It's simple to set up and shipping is free. Shop now at Cavo.com and use promo code BIGPICTURE for 20% off. That's C-A-A-V-O dot com, promo code BIGPICTURE for 20% off.